Good morning and welcome to Christ Central. Uh, my name is Owen. I get to serve as one of the pastors here. Uh, whether you're joining us uh, on-site or online, thank you for spending your Sunday morning with us today. Well, we're studying the Gospel of Luke together as a church and we're calling this sermon series Following Jesus Through the Book of Luke. And that's because the goal of this series is basically to follow Jesus around as he moves through the Book of Luke and we're going to watch what he does, and we're going to listen to what he says. And as we watch his actions, and as, and as we listen to his teachings, it's my prayer that we would find Jesus beautiful and compelling, and that we'd be more certain of the things that we believe, of the things that we believe as followers of Jesus, that Jesus really is the Son of God, the promised Messiah, and the Savior of the world, and that Jesus really is worth following, no matter how hard or how demanding that can be at times. And the title of today's sermon is Jesus raises a widow's son. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, and we're going to read from verse 1 to 17. Now we're going to read two stories today because these two stories are connected and they're meant to be read together, but we're going to focus on the second story for today's sermon. Now, Luke regularly arranges his, uh, his narrative by using pairs. For example, like a male or female pair, or a rich and poor pair. And in the two stories that we're about to read, Luke pairs a centurion and a widow. He pairs a rich, powerful, and privileged man with a poor, powerless, and vulnerable woman. And Luke does that. He pairs these two together to show us that Jesus has compassion on both men and women, on both the powerful and the powerless, on both the privileged and the vulnerable, on both the high and the low. And in Luke's gospel, we're going to find that it's the poor, the powerless, and the marginalized who are attracted to and who, are, or who flock to Jesus. And even throughout church history, it has been mostly the poor, the powerless, and the marginalized, those who have the least in the world, that are the most attracted to Jesus and to the Christian faith. So people of God, this is God's word. Would you please give it your careful attention? After Jesus had finished, saying, uh, finished all the sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant and who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not uh, presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man under, set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been uh, sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, 
a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the buyer, and the bearer stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all. And they glorify God, saying, A great prophet has, has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. In the first story of the centurion and his servant, Jesus healed the servant who was on the verge of death. Jesus saved him from dying. But in the second story of the widow and her son, Jesus didn't save the son from death because the son was not on the verge of death. He had already died. He was already lying in his coffin. So Jesus had to bring him back from the dead after death had already taken him. And today we're going to focus on the second story, on, on, on the widow and how she lost her son and how Jesus graciously and compassionately returned her son to her. Here's the outline for today's sermon. First, the plight of the widow. Second, the compassion of Jesus. And third, the praise of the people. First, let's consider the plight of the widow, her sad and her desperate situation. Now, as Jesus uh, entered the town of Nain, he had a huge crowd following him. You see, by this time in his ministry, Jesus was very popular, and he had a huge following. You see, there were lots of people who were hanging around Jesus, and they were just waiting for Jesus to do a miracle. They were waiting for Jesus to say something profound. He had a huge following. And as Jesus and this huge crowd that was following him uh, came to the town, uh, came to the gate of the town, there was a funeral procession. Sadly, the only son of a widow had died. Now, at this time in Jewish culture, it was customary uh, for a funeral procession to have hired mourners, people whose job was to wail and to weep loudly, along with musicians who played loud, somber funeral music. And Luke tells us that a considerable crowd from the town was with her. That means that this would have been a very loud scene at the town gate. Paid wailers wailing, musicians playing funeral music, and others weeping because they were heartbroken for this widow who had lost her one and only son. Now imagine the scene in your minds. Jesus was leading a large crowd into the town while this widow was leading a large crowd of her own out of the town, a funeral procession. And these two crowds meet. And at the heads of these two crowds is Jesus and the widow, and they meet at the town gate. Now this weeping widow didn't even know who Jesus was, who she was about to run into. But Jesus knew who she was. Jesus knew her story. Jesus knew that she had already lost her husband. And now she also lost her only son. Jesus knew that this woman was now both husbandless and sonless. 
making her among the most vulnerable in Jewish society at that time with no male, either husband or son, to be her protector or her provider. She was what Jewish commentators called an orphaned parent. But she wasn't just vulnerable. She was also heartbroken. You see, parents aren't supposed to outlive their kids. Parents are not supposed to bury their kids. And the son that died was a young man. You see, this was not a grandmother who lost her older middle-aged son. It was a young widow who lost her young son. And it was absolutely heartbreaking. Joe Bailey is a father who knows the indescribable pain of losing a son. In fact, he has lost three sons. He lost a son at 18 days after an unsuccessful surgery. And then he lost another son at five years of age because of leukemia. And then he lost a third son at 18 years of age after a sledding accident. Can you imagine his loss and his heartbreak as a father? And Joe wrote this. Of all deaths, that of a child is most unnatural and hardest to bear. We expect the old to die. The separation is always difficult, but, when it, but, it, but it comes as no surprise. But the child, the youth, life lies ahead with its beauty, its wonder, its potential. Death is a cruel thief when it strikes down the young. The suffering that usually precedes death is another reason childhood death is so hard for parents to bear. Children were made for fun and laughter, for sunshine, not for pain. In a way that is different from any other human relationship, a child is bone of his parents' bone, flesh of their flesh. When a child dies, part of the parents is buried. For those of us who have children, our greatest and our worst fear is that one of our children will die. No loss in the world could ever compare to the loss of a child. We would give our lives in a heartbeat as parents to save the, lo- to save the life of one of our children. The very thought of losing a child is unthinkable and unbearable. I still have this vivid memory of a random day My son and I, my son was about five years old, and he was riding his bike in a circle in front of me on a bright sunny day, and he was so happy, and he was laughing. And at that moment, a thought occurred to me, what if my son died? And at that moment, I started to cry uncontrollably just at the thought of losing my son, who I love so much. And I remember running over to him, picking him up, and holding him for five minutes, and he thought I was crazy. But that's what a father does when you love your son. You see, this widow wasn't just vulnerable. She was also heartbroken. See, here's a woman who had lost everything. First her husband and now her son. Death had robbed her of the two people she loved the most in this life, her husband and her son, and she was now all alone. Of course, she would be weeping. You see, friends, when God created the world, The world was perfect and good, and death was not supposed to be a part of it. But death entered into the world because of sin when Adam and Eve sinned against God. And because of sin, sickness and death came into the world. And now sickness and death are ugly, hated realities that we all have to live with in this fallen world. 
sickness and death are unnatural and ugly. People are not supposed to get sick and die. Death was never a part of the original creation. Therefore, we ought to weep and lament when our loved ones get sick and die because it was never supposed to be this way. And so it was right and proper for this widow to weep and to lament over the death of her one and only son. So first we see the plight of this poor widow. Second, let's look at and let's see the compassion of Jesus. In verse 13, Luke tells us when Jesus saw this woman that he had compassion on her. His heart went out to her. Now, this woman didn't approach Jesus and ask Jesus for help like so many other people did, like the leper did, like the paralytic did. This woman didn't approach Jesus. She might not have even noticed him because her eyes were probably on the ground as she was stumbling along. It was Jesus who saw her. It was Jesus who had compassion on her. And it was Jesus who approached her. It was Jesus who initiated this encounter between himself and this widow because his heart went out to her. And Jesus, being moved with compassion, did three things according to our text. First, he spoke to the woman. Second, he touched the coffin. And third, he spoke to the dead young man. First, Jesus spoke to the woman saying, do not weep. To tell a widow not to weep at the death of her son is ludicrous. Ludicrous. If there was ever a time to weep, it's over the death of your one and only son. But Jesus used this word, weep before. Do you remember? He used it in his Sermon on the Mount when he talked about one of his Beatitudes where he said, blessed are you who weep now for you shall laugh. Jesus told her not to weep because he was about to turn her weeping into laughter by giving her a foretaste of the kingdom of God in fullness and glory where death is no more. Second, Jesus touched the coffin or, or a buyer, which is more like an open casket. By touching the coffin, Jesus stopped the funeral procession. And by touching the coffin, Jesus also became ritually unclean according to Old Testament ceremonial laws. You see, Jesus was willing to become unclean in order to raise his dead boy. You see, Jesus always loves at a cost to himself. And by bringing this funeral procession to a stop, Jesus was bringing death to a stop, bringing death to a stop in its tracks. You see, friends, a funeral procession is a parade for death. It is death declaring victory and celebrating as it drags off yet another victim. But on this day, Jesus, the Lord of life, was going to reign on death's parade. And Jesus stopped this funeral procession, basically saying, death, stop, not today. Not today. Give this one back. You're not taking him today. Jesus hates death. Jesus cannot tolerate death. And this scene of Jesus stopping a funeral procession was a picture of why Jesus came. Jesus came to arrest death, to stop death, to destroy death, to put death to death. Jesus, the Lord of life, came to swallow up death in victory. And third, 
Jesus spoke directly to the young man, commanding him, young man, I say to you, arise. Now, I want you to notice, Jesus did not pray to God for God to raise this young man the way Elijah had to pray to God to raise the the dead son of a widow. But Jesus speaks directly to the young man because Jesus was God. He was the Lord of life, and he had in himself the power to raise the dead. And at the words of Jesus, the Lord of life, death must release its victim and give him back. You see, friends, even death must submit to and obey the Lord Jesus Christ. And then Jesus gave the resurrected son back to his mom. And as you can imagine, the weeping of this mother was transformed into laughter as she embraced and kissed her son who had not only been brought back to life, but who was also brought back to her. This relationship between mother and son that was broken by death was restored by Jesus. Her darkness was turned into light. Her sorrow was turned into joy and her weeping was turned into laughter. This mother got a glimpse, a preview, and a foretaste of the kingdom of God when it comes in fullness, power, and glory. Friends, I want you to notice two things about this touching story. First, I want you to notice the focus on this woman. You see, in her social context, women were basically identified by their relation to men. But in this story, this young man is identified in his relation to this woman. He is her mother's son. Surprisingly, a woman, not a man, is at the center of the story. She was a poor, powerless, and vulnerable woman, and people like her in her uh, society, they were pushed to the margins and forgotten. But she was the focus of Jesus' attention and the center of his compassionate ministry. Now, one of the major and beautiful themes in the book of Luke is this, that the gospel is for the socially marginalized. And this husbandless and this sonless woman was the epitome of a socially marginalized person in her society at that time. You see, friends, I want you to notice, this miracle was for the widow, not the son. What motivated Jesus to, the, to do this miracle was his compassion on the weeping widow, not the dead son. Jesus did this miracle for this widow because he had compassion on those who have nothing, on those who are nobodies, on those who are marginalized and forgotten. Friends, I think there's such an important application for us as the church and as followers of Jesus Christ right here. The risen and living Lord Jesus still has compassion on widows and orphans and on those who are poor, powerless, and vulnerable in our society. And if we call Jesus Lord, if we call ourselves followers of Jesus, then we too must show compassion on widows and orphans and on those who are poor, powerless, and vulnerable in our society. You see, friends, one sign that you are a true follower of Jesus, one sign that you truly belong to the kingdom of God is this, that you have compassion for the poor, the powerless, and the vulnerable. 
Nothing makes you more like Jesus than being compassionate toward the poor and vulnerable. And nothing makes you more unlike Jesus than being calloused to the poor and the vulnerable. Tender-hearted concern for the, for the poor and the vulnerable is a sign of a heart full of grace. And hard-hearted disregard for the poor and the vulnerable is a sign of a graceless heart. The Apostle James said this in his letter in James chapter 1, verse 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. As followers of Jesus, we have personally received and experienced the lavish compassion of God in Christ. Jesus showed us compassion. He had compassion on us when we were poor, powerless, and vulnerable. And that ought to make us the most compassionate people in all the world. Because, friends, when you know that you've received compassion, you can give compassion. Those who have received compassion can give compassion. Second, I also want you to notice this. In verse 13, Jesus is called the Lord. Now, you may not know this, but this is the first time in Luke's book that he refers to Jesus as the Lord. And that's because in this episode, Jesus will reveal himself as the Lord. You see, friends, only the Lord God can raise the dead. And when Jesus raises the dead, he's doing what only the Lord God can do, thus revealing and demonstrating that he is the Lord. And as the Lord, Jesus has the final say, not death. You see, death had said to this young man, you're mine, you're dead, and you will stay dead. But Jesus was the Lord, and he had the final say, and he basically said, young man, I don't care what death said to you. I say to you, arise. And who did the young man obey? Death or Jesus? Jesus. And he arose, came back to life, began to speak. Jesus always has the final say as the Lord of life. And why was Jesus able to demand of death to give up this only son who had died? That's because another only son would eventually take his place. The only son of the widow will live because one day on a cross, the only son of God will die in his place. In order for God the Father to save us, he would have to experience the pain of this widow, the loss of his one and only son, Jesus. But for God the Father, the loss would be infinitely greater and infinitely more painful because the Father loves the Son infinitely more than the widow could have ever loved her son. And one day, it would be Jesus, God's only Son, who would die and would have to be carried on a bier to a grave. God the Father experienced every parent's worst fear the death of a child so that we could become his sons and daughters in Christ. Father, friends, that's how much God the Father loves you and me, that he was willing to give up the life of his one and only son. 
And Jesus gave life back to this boy because he knew that he was going to give his life, not just for this boy, but for all of us who believe and trust in him as Savior and Lord. And just as Jesus raised raised this dead young man back to life, Jesus will raise us back to life one day after we die and we will live with him in the new heaven and the new earth. And just like all the other miracles of Jesus, this miracle was both a messianic sign and a heavenly sign. First, it was a messianic sign. It was a sign that shows us that Jesus was the Messiah. Later in this very chapter, in chapter 7, in verses 22 to 23, when John the Baptist asked Jesus, Hey, Jesus, are you the Messiah? Listen to how Jesus answered John. He said, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Jesus' answer to John's question by describing all the things that he was doing, he was indirectly saying, I'm doing everything that the Messiah is supposed to do. I'm the Messiah. And so in our story today, Jesus did one of the things a Messiah was supposed to do to raise the dead back to life. And by raising this widow's son back to life, Jesus was declaring and signaling that he was indeed the promised Messiah. Second, this miracle was also a heavenly sign. It was a preview of what the kingdom of heaven is like. For in the kingdom of heaven, there is no more death. The dead are raised back to life. And just as Jesus raised this young man, he will also raise all those who belong to him on the last day. Friends, whoever you lost to death in the Lord, Jesus will raise him or her back up and he will return them to you just as he returned to this widow, her son. Everyone who has ever loved and lost anyone in the Lord to death, that person will be returned and restored to you one day. You will be reunited with them and you will never be separated from them ever again. Some of you still haven't gotten over the death of a loved one. And you may never get over it in this lifetime. But one day, your darkness will be turned into light. Your sorrow will be turned into joy. And your weeping will be turned into laughter. You see, one day, you see, weeping is just for a moment. But laughter is forever. And what death separates Jesus will reunite. So we consider the plight of the widow and the compassion of Jesus. Lastly, let's consider the praise of the people. When the crowds, both the crowd that was following Jesus and the crowd that was following the widow, when the crowd saw what Jesus did, when they saw Jesus raise his dead boy back to life, verse 16 tells us their reaction. And fear seized them all. I feel like that's like the most understated statement in all of Luke's gospel. Let's take a moment to try to appreciate the reaction of the crowds. 
they were gripped with fear. They were terrified when they saw this dead boy sit up and start talking. I bet you there were some people in that crowd that were screaming and shrieking when they saw the boy sit up. I bet you there were some faces that must have looked like this. Oh my God! Did, did you just see that? Oh my, what am I seeing? Are, are, are you hearing this? He, this dead boy just came back to life. What is going on? Can you imagine the shock and the surprise and the excitement in that crowd? Imagine if you were at a funeral and you were in line to view the deceased in the casket, in line to console the grieving family members, and as you're walking by the casket, all of a sudden, the dead body sits up and starts talking. How would you react? Hey, look, he came back to life. I guess the funeral's over. No! How would, imagine what you would do. You'd probably scream and maybe run out of the room. That's probably what I would do. You would freak out. In other words, you too would be seized with fear, just like the people that were seized with fear when they saw this miracle that Jesus performed. And after the shock wore off, they began to glorify God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. Now the crowds didn't fully understand who Jesus was and what he came to do, but they knew this. God's power was at work in this man. And they said that he was a great prophet. And they said that he is proof that God is visiting us with salvation. They knew that the power of God was at work in Jesus. And they glorified God for it. But as we continue to read and study Luke's gospel, we're going to learn a few more things about Jesus. We're going to learn that Jesus is not just a great prophet, but he's the true and final prophet. The prophet that all the other prophets pointed to. And we're going to learn that Jesus is God in human flesh. So yes, God has come to visit his people because Jesus has come and Jesus is God. And throughout fire, all throughout all of Judea and all the surrounding country as you would expect it to when someone brings a dead man back to life. So what? What's the takeaway for today? Today I want to leave you with this mental picture. So if you would, humor me, close your mind. And, and, and try to be creative, use your imagination. Although the, although the text doesn't tell us this, but we can imagine this, that this somber funeral procession was transformed into a joyous street party. The ones who were weeping and wailing were now laughing and dancing for joy. The musicians who were playing somber funeral music was now playing happy music that you could dance to. Imagine the scene in your mind, the sights and the sounds, the laughter, the dancing, and the tears of joy as the widow was reunited with her son that she had lost to death. Friends, that street party, that, that Dancing and laughter and joy, that is a glimpse of the reunion that awaits us in the kingdom of heaven. When we are reunited with the loved ones that we lost to death in Christ. Today, if you are a follower of Jesus, let this comfort your heart. When you die, and you will die one day, so will I. But when you die, Jesus will raise you back to life.
Jesus, the Lord of life, will command you, young man, young woman, I say to you, arise, and you will joyfully obey him, and you will sit up, and you will behold the face of your Savior, and you will speak. And not only that, you will also be reunited with everyone that you have ever loved and lost in the Lord. Jesus will return to you everyone that you have ever lost. A great and glorious and joyous reunion with your loved ones awaits you in the kingdom of heaven. And you will never again experience the pain and the sorrow of separation ever again. And today, if you're not a believer, if you're not a follower of Jesus, today I invite you to believe with us and to follow Jesus with us. And Jesus promises you that he will raise you up after you die and you will be an heir of life everlasting once this life is through. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you are the Lord of life. We confess to you sometimes your, your commands are burdensome. But there is one command that will never be a burden but a joy. When you command us on the last day to arise to life everlasting, that command we will obey with all joy. And we will sit up and we will behold your beautiful face and we will speak your glorious praise and we will live with you forever in the new heaven the new earth. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are the Lord of life and that we will obey you and we will rise and we will live forever.